0: Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California.
2: I'm just going to jump into our text. We're in a series called Real Jesus. Um, and what we've been doing is talking about who Jesus is and what was his life, message, and mission. And we've come to the place where we realize that Jesus' life, message, and mission is for here and now. And so we wanna reorient our entire church and our lives around that reality. And so we've been teaching through various texts. Today you'll be in John chapter four. And I just wanna, I wanna just say Jesus is a model, not just for spiritual things, but for all of life. And I wanna give you some some helpful ways of living today as a follower of Jesus. And so, John chapter four, um, but let me jump in with this reality, because we come from empowered. And um, I wanna ask this question, point number one, uh, what happens when you have a powerful encounter with God and have to go back to work on Monday? Yeah. Have you ever had that experience? Maybe it was empowered. And you, you have this mountaintop encounter, whether it was a whisper in you know, the woods, you know, in a foreign land, alone in isolation, or whether it was if you came forward for prayer and someone shared uh, a word of knowledge with you that that shocked you and surprised you that opened up the floodgates of heaven, maybe it was a random encounter with a friend and it changed the course direction of your life for me, it was the trains the train ride in India where God whispered a thought into my head it became it consumed my mind and a year two years later I, I moved from Newport Beach to Long Beach to start a church because of a weird thought and that was an encounter. What happens when we have these experiences we're literally on the mountaintop, and the next day we have to go back to work and commute and deal with that same co-worker who has the same problems that, we, that suck the life out of us. And so how do we live life with Jesus in those places? And I, I think there's a problem uh, in the church, there's a problem in, in, in kind of Western thinking because even the word spirituality, it comes from this Greek thought um, that implies a separation from the material world. The word spiritual means that, okay, there are things that are physical and material, mundane and ordinary that we can touch. And then there's like this elevated space of spirituality. And that, that is a Greek kind of f- way of thinking. But in classic Hebrew, there was no word for spiritual because that would imply that there, was, there are things that are not spiritual. You see, in the Hebrew way of thinking, all of life is spiritual. The physical and the material and the spiritual are all combined together. Therefore, everything is spiritual. So therefore, I wanna make this argument, how do we live with God? How do we live a a vibrant spiritual life in the mundane, in the ordinary, um, wherever we go, whenever we go, with whoever we encounter and meet? And so today's text is looking at Jesus's Um, humanity, looking at his approach to life and mission, and it's, a, it's also an invitation for you. And really, the, the only point I want to share with you is, I'm going to make a bunch of observations, but the one point is this, that your story is the ultimate invitation for other people to encounter God. And so as you think about this, I want you to think about your own story, and then we'll do some baptisms and sing some more songs. Sound good? Shall I pray again? Do we need prayer? So some of you stopped. Okay, that's cool. I'll keep going. Let me let me invite you back in. Jesus, we we do welcome you. I just I I am so excited another 3 people getting baptized this morning, and I can't wait for them to do that. And I just thank you for the last 7 years of your grace. What a miracle to stand here today with this amazing community that have chosen to risk and step out and give and live generously and sacrifice and serve and let go of bitterness and resentment and offer forgiveness and, and do all the things that are hard to do by being church. And I just thank you. I pray that your grace would just empower us the next seven, that you would just release us and have, uh, that our vision would expand and we would see multiplication, not just addition, and that we would, we would just do this well and do it with such love, all empowered by your spirit. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so one quick observation too I wanted to make, I forgot to say this, Uh, about God, okay? God only meets you where you are. God never meets you where you aren't. It sounds like Dr. Seuss, I know. But I want you to think about this for a second because I have a bunch of observations and points that are kind of interconnected or not, but I just felt compelled to share some thoughts about life. Some of you are not where you want to be in life. And you think if you can get here, then that's when life will really take off for you. But the problem is, God can only meet you here and now. Not yesterday, because that's yesterday. And not tomorrow, because that's tomorrow. All that you have is right now. So he meets you where you are. So I want you to think about this. For all of you that are carrying shame and guilt from last night's activities, God will meet you right now where you are, as you are. You don't have to do anything else other than say, God, I want you to meet me here. You don't have to get your act together to meet with him and have a spiritual experience. You can just receive his grace. Are you with me on that? Some of you are in school or you're in transition with jobs. and You're like, once I get that job, then I'll be generous. Then I'll be the person that God's called me to be. Then I'll be fill in the blank for whatever that looks like for you and you're waiting to finally arrive at a transition so that you can have the life that you thought God wanted you to have in the first place. But the problem with that thinking is that you miss all the amazing opportunities to usher in God's life, his eternal life and kingdom, through you, here and now, where you are, because where you are is really important to God, because that's where you are. Dr. Seuss. <laughs> now, let's go, to the, let's go to the scriptures. John, chapter four, um, verse three. Let's read this together. Uh, So he left Judea and went back, I'm not going to sit down in the service, I don't need to, Um, and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. Circle, he had to go. Some of you have to go places. You know what I'm talking about? You don't want to go, but you have to go places. He had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town, in Samaria, called Saqqar, near the plot of ground, Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Joseph or Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, circle tired, sat down by the well. It was about noon, circle noon, it's important, or highlight it. You can just go into your phone and highlight, okay? And when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Okay, quick point. It says he had to go. What's, what's, why is that important? First of all, an Orthodox Jew would never go through Samaria. They would go around Samaria. It would add a few days to the journey. Jesus had to go, so he went through Samaria. Why? A few reasons. Jews hated Samaritans, right? It would be like the Panthers and the, in the Super Bowl hating, what was, what's the other team? Oh, the Broncos, that's right, okay. Okay. <laughs> Just kidding all my bronco fans back grace grace upon you today um, <laughs> <laughs> no it would be it would be like al Qaeda and the Tea Party, the Cri- bloods and the Crips. Um, it, it was rooted in ancient theological issues they were they were seen as by the Jews as spiritual heretics. They hated each other. And so you would never want to cross paths ever. If you touched them, they were unclean. All sorts of religious bigotry, hatred towards one another. It was ethnic hatred, all sorts of horrible things. So you would never go through. You would go around. The second observation I want to make is, check this out. Jesus was hot because it was noon, tired from the journey, thirsty because he asked for water, and hungry because the disciples went to go get food. Jesus was hot, tired, thirsty, and hungry, and, how, and he was on his way to someplace else. This was a pit stop, right—a rest area, going on a longer journey to another location. How many of you, if you are any of those things, one of those things, are a horrible person to your family members and the people you love? True story. Yesterday, this is a great story because there's a new part I'm going to add to it. Um, but yesterday, we woke. My wife and I woke up, went to Target, and then you know we do the Target and then the Trader Joe's run. Anyone else do the Target Trader Joe's run? OK, yeah, look at that. So you, you can just picture that. So it was about 10 o'clock in the morning, and we were in Trader Joe's. We had been to Target. And Ezra starts to act up, my boy, and he's starting to be a two-year-old throwing stuff all over the place. And we're like, hey, sit down. He's climbing out. He's unbuckling. He's, he's like graffitiing on the wall and cussing. No, he's not doing this. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and I'm trying to pick out mixed nuts for my India trip. And I pick the ones with like chocolate and all sorts of goodness, and I'm trying to eat healthy. And Alex just kind of nudges, and she's she's like, "Oh, you're gonna get that," and uh, and, which I heard was, "You're ugly and fat. God hates you." And. Why? Because I okay. So I say she just said, "Are you sure that's a healthy choice?" And I say, I say something kind of rude back, and she's like, "Oh, okay." And she walks out, and she leaves me with my boy. She's like, "I'm gonna go to the car. You finish this." I got the list. My son is graffitiing with spray paint, and and I'm like, "Why did I say what I said to my wife?" And I realize I'm hungry. I skipped breakfast. I was hungry. Would you say hangry? That's a new word. I was hangry. And I realized if I'm just hungry, I will literally, and I didn't curse, but I will curse my my bride who I'm called to lay down my life for in a moment because I'm hungry. Anyone else struggle with that problem? Now, God had provided a way out, but it relied on on a friend. I I told the story (laughs) in the first service, and Pete, our worship pastor, goes, Darren, I saw you at Target, (laughs) but I was on the phone and I wanted to say something to you and it probably would have changed the direction of your morning, but I was too busy and distracted. So remember that, just kidding. (laughs) No, he was on the phone, he was busy. So Jesus, Jesus is fully human, okay? I want to remind you, he's fully human. And this is one text that shows He's experiencing hunger, thirst, heat, and he's tired. Can we just highlight that? But what happens next is what we are invited into. Okay, so he's on his way to the destination. Samaria is covered with all sorts of hatred and division, and you don't normally go there. It's, it's the Barstow stop on the way to Vegas, you know, or whatever. It's the Kettleman City on your way to Northern California. You just stop off for gas, and then you get back on the road. And if you're my wife, you don't even do that, right? You hold it as long as possible because it's about getting there. Anyway, so that's it. <clears throat> so Jesus... Um, uh, he, he, he stops and he starts to have this interaction with this Samaritan. Will you give me a drink? And um, a, a point I want to make about Jesus is this. Where you are matters. Everywhere you are matters because it's an opportunity for God to interact with you and the people around you. Here's the gift that you don't realize that you have and now I just want to reveal it to you if you didn't already know. But you have the essence of the gospel, the seed for a church planting movement inside of you. You each have a seed to bring forth the kingdom of God, eternal life in the space around you. So everywhere you go matters because you're there. And if you've said yes to Jesus and if you just believe what I just said, that that means when you go at five o'clock in the morning to, on your way to work and stop at Starbucks and speak to a barista, that is a chance for you to bring the light of God into that 5 a.m. work hour for that employee and bring encouragement, joy, and life, even if it's not what you feel, but, but you know you represent the king as you stop on his territory. Do you know what I'm talking about? Everywhere you go matters because it's an opportunity for God to invade that space. So Jesus is aware of the potential of his impact while he's still hungry, thirsty, tired, and hot, and he's willing to participate in what God's doing. Are you with me? So here's what happens. Verse nine. The Samaritan woman said to him, "'You are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. "'How can you ask me for a drink? "'For Jews do not associate with Samaritans.' "'Jesus answered her, "'If you knew the gift of God "'and who it is that asks you for a drink, "'you would have asked him "'and he would have given you living water. "'Sir,' the woman said, "'you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. "'Where can I get this living water though? "'Are you greater than our father Jacob "'who gave us this well and drank from it himself "'as did his sons and his livestock?' Jesus answered, everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Can I get an amen? Amen. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Amen. The woman said to him, sir, give me some of this water so I don't have to come back and I don't have to get thirsty and I don't have to draw from the water. So that's the interaction. Hey, give me some water. I'm a Samaritan woman. What are you doing interacting with me? If you would have known who I am, you would have asked for something else. It's far greater than that. Far greater than that. Now, this interaction is really profound because she notices something that shouldn't happen. And this is what I want to talk about. Um, She's a Samaritan woman. And uh, a woman in first century context, they, they weren't legally allowed to be witnesses in court systems. They were seen as like half men. They weren't a full person. They, uh, they had no legal rights. They were uneducated. Um, even a rabbi in the first century would not teach their children, if they were daughters, the Torah, because it was seen as worthless and taboo, even if you were a Jew. Now, put all of that together on top of the fact that she's a Samaritan woman. She's a Samaritan. She's a religious heretic. She's morally corrupt. She's a bigot, according to the Jews. She's hated by the Jews. She uh, is the worst kind of person. She's uneducated. You, she, Jesus is breaking social barriers. He's breaking um, religious barriers. He's breaking um, uh, sex barriers. He's breaking all sorts of sorts ethnic barriers to communicate with this woman. Are you with me? Okay, so this woman is having this life-giving conversation with Jesus. She doesn't know who Jesus is yet. And at the end, he's gonna reveal himself. And I'll save that little piece for the end. Um, But right before this conversation, Jesus is interacting with another dude. His name was Nicodemus in chapter three. And Nicodemus is a man, an Orthodox Jew, wealthy. Uh, He's a Pharisee. He's a religious leader in the Jewish community. He lives in Jerusalem. Um, He's at the, the, the height of... Of, uh, of kind of the holy city and the holy nation, all right? And the very next person that Jesus talks to is this woman, right, who uh, he, no religious person that's Jew should be talking with her. And she's there at noon, okay? This is really important. Why is noon important? Because women would fetch water in the morning and in the evening together in community. She's going at the heat of the day, meaning nobody else was there, which implies that she was publicly disgraced by the town and that she was forced to go alone in isolation for something that she did. Are you with me? Do you see the context and how important the context matters? This is why we love studying the scripture because all of a sudden it's it's this lens that we we apply from the scripture and helps us interpret the word in a fresh way. So Jesus um, builds bridges. Jesus built bridges to hurting, isolated people and communities. Jesus built bridges to hurting, isolated, and outcasts, both individuals and communities. Why? Because everyone you meet matters, because they matter to God. If you want something to live by, live by these two things. Everywhere you go, everywhere you are matters. Everyone you meet matters, because they matter to God. I want you to inherit this mindset that simply says this, everyone is a child of God. And with your knowledge and insight, with the wisdom that you've been given, you know who the Father in heaven really is. And you have an opportunity every time you meet somebody to bestow on them the Father's blessing, the love from the Father, the love from Jesus and His Son and and the Holy Spirit. You have the power to transform people's lives by that knowledge. So when you meet that barista, I'm using a barista because I, I met one this morning and I was, this was in my mind so I tried to interact. Do you, do you come to them thinking, Father, this is your child. Help me to love them as you love them. Or is it just a person that's getting in the way of you getting to where you really need to be? And if you're, if you're new to the garden, let me just say, we're not looking for a big church. We've become big. We're looking for disciples who live this out seven days a week. We're looking for disciples that create movements in their workplace, in their offices, in their homes, in their neighborhoods, in their schools. That's what we're trying to rally. So everyone you encounter matters because they matter to God. Jesus begins to talk to them. This woman about um, this, this life-giving water, it's referring to the salvation of Lord. It's referring to eternal life. Jesus, if you, if you think he's talking to her about what happens when she dies, that's not what he's talking about. Eternal life is about the life God intended us to have here and now. It's about the kingdom of God. It's John's way of talking about the kingdom, God's reign and rule. And so if you think he's trying to convert her so that when she dies, she goes to heaven, that's not what's happening. He's saying, let me talk to you about the life that matters most, this one here now, and the one you were intended to have in the first place. And the only way you can receive that is if you know who the Father is and you have right relationship with him. Once you have that, then you can have right relationship with yourself because so many of us, are living outside of our true identity. And once you have your true identity, then you are empowered to live in authentic, meaningful, compassionate relationships with everyone you meet. Amen. That's, eternal, that's eternal life. That's what God intended us to have in the first place. And when you know God, it will be like a spring of water flowing from within you so that you will ooze out of you the very essence of life. You guys see that? Okay, am I losing some of you? Are you literally already thinking about Super Bowl com- commercials? Better not be. I rebuke you in Jesus' <laughs> John 4, 16. <clears throat> he told her, go, call your husband and come back. That's an interesting line. I'm just going to call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said, oh, you're right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you have Five. And the man you're with is not your husband. So what you're saying is actually quite true. Okay, sir, I can see that you're a prophet. <laughs> have, you, have you, Okay, and I, I kind of have this experience with people because I'll be at restaurants and people will be cussing and doing all this stuff and they're like, oh, what do you do? And I'm, I'm, I'm pastor and they're like, oh, you are? And now they're collecting all the, the, the what they, they did in front of me, all the sin they did. They're trying to remind themselves of what they did. I don't normally cuss and I don't, you know, they're, I, this is only my first beer or whatever it is that they're doing, but <laughs> you, you <laughs> That's what's happening to this woman. She's like, okay, wait, you're a prophet, okay. And then she's tr- she tries to talk about spiritual things. This happens to me too. People are like, oh yeah, I grew up in church, you know, and I, you know, and I, I read the, the Bibles or whatever it is. Like, and people begin to kind of figure out how to have a spiritual conversation. She's like, hey, our, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and the worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, and listen to this, I know that the Messiah, called Christ, is coming When he comes, he will explain everything. It's the Old Testament. And then Jesus declared to her, I the one speaking to you, I am he. Now I want you to pull back for a second. Jesus had just had a conversation with this religious leader, a man, wealthy, educated, a Pharisee, holy, set apart from the rest of the Jewish community. He does not reveal that he's the Messiah. Jesus is having a conversation outside of Jerusalem in the holy city City, in Samaria with a Samaritan woman, a moral outcast, corrupted. She has no status in society. She's been publicly shamed by her own town. And he says to her, I am he. Do you see how profound Jesus and the God that Jesus reveals is? He goes to the least likely folks and says, actually, what you are waiting for, it's right here and now. He doesn't reveal it over here. He reveals it to the least, the last, the lost, the broken, the morally corrupt, the people that shouldn't get in. They're the ones that are front and center. And Jesus says, let me show you something. That's, that's amazing. I don't know what type of Christianity you've bought into but this is the type of Christianity that was founded, where the people of privilege and power and status and knowledge and information and success, they pour their lives towards the direction that Jesus himself poured his life. He did it for everyone, but he leaned towards the marginalized. Do you ever think about that? So this is what Jesus is doing. He reveals that he is the Messiah. He corrects a the theological debate, and, um, and I love it. She responds to this life-giving water and, um, and, and his response is, uh, hey, go get your husband. And, and he, she's like, well, I don't have one. And he's like, actually, yeah, you're right. What you said is right. There's, you've had five. And, and so uh, you're, what you're saying is actually true. So what just happened in that dialogue? Word of knowledge. Word of knowledge. That's right. I want to talk about this. Let's just, can I submit something to you? We just learned in the previous text that Jesus was hungry, tired, thirsty, and hot. In other words, he's just fully one of us. He's fully human. How did Jesus know that she had five husbands? Well, if you say if it's because he's God, then what are you going to do with all the, the hunger, tired, thirst, and heat? What, what's revealed in Scripture is that Jesus does everything he does through the power of the Holy Spirit and he empowers the church, us, to do everything he did through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'd like to suggest that what Jesus experienced in a moment of exhaustion, hunger, and thirst is he has a word of knowledge. And I don't know um, where you are with this stuff, but this is what words of knowledge are for, okay? So I'll give you a quick example, and we'll talk about what he does. I've, I've had l- words of knowledge over the years, but I've had some in, in, outside of the local church. And therefore, not just the, the local church, but therefore outside. And I would call the situation power evangelism. What's happened? So he knows something about her that he shouldn't know. It's a word of knowledge. God reveals something specific about somebody in context. And they, there's no way they should know outside of God revealing it. Okay, that's a word of knowledge. And, and then he shares it with her. And now she's all of a sudden open to what he's saying. You're a prophet. Right? So I was at, at, we were doing Laundry Love one night. I was over here in downtown and we were providing free laundry for a neighborhood. And I've shared this story before, but I was praying for this woman who was not a Christian. She, was, um, she believed in astrology. I laughed because I'm like, uh, she's like, I believe it's about being good and I believe in the stars. I'm like, okay, that's great that you believe in that. Okay, but let me pray for you. And we prayed. And as we were praying, um, I sensed, and I'll just share how it happened. I had this thought in my head. And it's a random thought, but I had this, this thought that something had happened to her when she was a child, and then the thought ran on, nobody believed, nobody, nobody believed her when she, she shared it with her, her relatives, and that that marked the rest of her life, and she, literally that has marked her entire life. So that, that came into my head while I'm praying. It's kind of weird. Now, what I've learned is to trust those random thoughts. And this is where it gets hard, because you have to step out and risk, okay? So we got done praying, and this is what I did. Not knowing if it was a word of knowledge or not, I'm just gonna test it. I said to her, this is gonna sound so strange and weird. And so that's how I preface my words, by the way. I just go, this is gonna, (laughs) I'm giving you hope. And it could be completely wrong, most of the time I am wrong. But while we were praying, I had this sense, and this is a sense that I had. um, That something happened to you when you were a child that nobody believed. Before I could even finish, she starts weeping. And it marked the rest of your life. And she says to me, how did you know this? And I say to her, I didn't know, but Jesus knows. And he wants to know you. And she gave her life to Jesus right there. And then as we pray. Jesus knew that and wanted her to be in a relationship. And that was a word of knowledge. Now here's the deal. What Jesus knows about this woman is that she... What what I'm gonna say is that he probably saw in her loneliness, isolation, brokenness, pain, sorrow, a longing to be filled, and she's only filled her life. She was thirsty, and she was searching for God everywhere else with sexual relationships and, and relationships with men. And Jesus meets her in her pain, and rather than shaming her with a word of knowledge about sin, he invites her in to a better story. That's the power of words of knowledge. That's the power of prayer. That's the power of being what Jesus was, naturally supernatural. You guys, this is for all of you. There's, You are to be called, as a follower, to be naturally supernatural, to walk in power everywhere you go. Are you walking places to your office, in your homes, in your neighborhoods, wondering, God, what do you have for these people? I do this all the time. Let me just share this. The reason I love words of knowledge is because it makes, it, it builds people's faith. It builds, it lifts you up, right? So when I'm, if, if we're praying here, words of knowledge are easy, but when I'm on the street, when I talk to people on the street, I always say, God, give me a word of knowledge for somebody. Why? Because it's way easier to talk to somebody about something that I should know about them, and have that when I jump into the conversation, than it is to do what Robbie Dawkins does. Would you agree? Because my view, like where I started was, okay, I don't believe in the Holy Spirit, then I believed in the Holy Spirit, then I experienced this Holy Spirit, and I'm like, wow, this is changing everything. Help helped me to grow in it, so I started praying for the gifts, then I started to exercise the gifts, and then it was, um, okay, I want to pray for people on the streets, and so I started with words of knowledge, because that's the easiest place, because you can walk up to a stranger, I could pray for a woman, um, who's never met me, and have intimate information about her, and what does it do? It opens up her heart to God, and, and what's harder is where Robbie's leading us, where, where faith is, open your mouth and trust God to fill it. What? No way! Hey, if you see a broken bone on the street, pray for its healing. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's crazy, right? I mean, does anyone else think that's crazy? And that's, now for us, it's completely normal, right? That's where all of us are headed, our new membership class is going to say, who have you healed on the street? <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. I'm just kidding. But this is the journey. So the invitation is some of you are over here. You just need to be open. Great, be open. Some of you believe in it. Start asking for the gifts. Allow God to use you. If you get a word, share the word. I got a phone call. This, I got two phone calls this week from the same guy who is basically, I was in the middle of another issue with Alex. We were talking about something. I need to take time off. And while we're talking about it, I get a phone call from a friend that says, hey, I just sense that you're gonna take some personal days, you had a long weekend. I feel like God says, double it, take, two, you know, take twice as much off. That was a word of knowledge. He didn't even have an idea. He was on, driving somewhere thinking of me and called to tell me that. And that came at a divine moment. I needed to hear that because normally I just keep working. Isn't that amazing? That's what this community should be for each other. Listening on behalf, speaking. Okay, I'm getting sidetracked. I love this stuff, though. Do you guys like it? Okay, another observation. Love always wins. Love always wins. Love is evangelistic, and love is the ends and the means to the ends. There's no other issue. If, you're, if your goal is to see people healed, you're missing the point. The goal is to extend, extend God's love Everywhere you go. So when you're done praying, even if nothing happens, that they, they feel loved and supported. There's a story of someone praying praying for a blind guy this week, and he didn't get healed, but the guy was like, "Wow, listening to your heart praying for me, and the the desire that you have that you want me to be healed is really important." Or something. It's basically. I think I'm taking that from Robbie. Actually, did Robbie share that story? Yeah, it's yeah, Robbie's story. So he had prayed for a blind guy. <laughs> I'm just correcting. It's okay. (laughs) But that's exactly it. The point is love and we want love to be the the goal in all that we do. Jesus meets her where she's at and doesn't condemn. He invites her into a better story. Um, Two more points and we're gonna wrap up. Jesus, this is an observation about this story. And this is probably a proclamation for our church. Jesus is water for the thirsty, not wine for the connoisseur. There is an entire Culture and system, empire, and industry in this thing we call Christianity. And let's not even pay attention to that. We can't pay attention to that. We can't buy into the industry of Christianity because that's designed for connoisseurs of faith, not thirsty people. We are a movement of beggars that found a nibble of bread and are inviting everyone else to come and share that bread. That's what this movement is about. And unless you've tasted and seen that Jesus is good, unless you've realized that all, all the stuff in this world, everything you could ever imagine, all the pleasure that you can have, all the success that you could have, all the things that money will buy, all the traveling you wanna go and do, the global enterprise, all of the relationships filled with endless amount of pleasure, all of that will never satisfy your thirsty soul Only the water of life, Jesus Christ, will truly satisfy you. And until you get to that place and recognize, I'm thirsty, you won't be filled with what you've been intended to be filled with. Because Jesus is water. He's not wine for the connoisseur. So some of us need to repent of our religiousness, of the boundaries we created in our city, keeping people from the water of life. And we are the problem. And we need to say sorry and make it easier and lay down our lives in love for those people in that community. The rest of us, we need to taste and see that he's good and say, come nibble on the the water of life, have a drink, be filled. Are you with me? Jesus is water for the thirsty. And when you've tasted and seen he's good, your story changes. Your story gets hijacked by God's story. (laughs) And here's the last point, and this is what I wanted to invite you to. I want to invite you to participate And there's no greater way to participate in the story of God than to share your story of God with others. Your story is an invitation for others to encounter God. Listen to what happens, and I love this, and may this be the next seven years for us. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. The woman that was publicly shamed by that town, who's alone at the well, Becomes the evangelist because God met her in her shame and pain right where she was, and she allowed her pain and shame to become the platform for everyone else to experience Jesus and His grace. And then it goes on and it says, So uh, He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to Him, they urged Him to stay with Him. In two days in Barstow, nobody stays in Barstow. And because of his words, just kidding, many many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe because you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, we've tasted and seen, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Are you with me?
0: Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org. Our hearts are open.
3: Our hearts are open. Thank you.